The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of Squawk Box. Dow futures point to a weaker open after U.S. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin calls for an end to some key pandemic support programs that gets pushback from the Fed on business support measures. This, as President-elect Joe Biden says he'll announce a new Treasury Secretary this month while promising to not lock down the economy. I am not going to shut down the economy, period. I'm going to shut down the virus. That's what I'm going to shut down. Meanwhile, Brexit negotiations will resume remotely. This following a brief suspension after a member of the EU team tested positive for COVID, with the deadline for an agreement just weeks away. The World Health Organization says remdesivir has no meaningful effect on COVID patients, dealing a blow to the treatment as Spain's deputy prime minister tells CBC that rolling out any vaccine efficiency, uh, efficiently is crucial. We need to decide, you know, which are the groups which should be vaccinated first in order to have maximum impact and to leave this very tough period behind. kick off the uh, half hour by just taking a look at US futures then and giving you a sense of uh, what sentiment looks like very early on here. And I guess that gives you a, a good feel for the negative tone early on that we have around the open for the Dow Jones. Um, we were about 200 points uh, implied open lower uh, a little earlier on, but now we're, we're still off about 181 points here in terms of how the market sees the start of the trading session. Um, this comes obviously after we had positive closes in the US overnight. I just wanted to throw in though, before you um, decide how you're going to roll the die this morning, if you are planning to make any trades, let me just throw in a couple of um, big hitters from CNBC Pro. Bill Ackman, the billionaire hedge fund manager, apparently thinks it's now prudent to have some protection against potential downside in the near future. He looks as though then he is um, trying to put some uh, insurance in his policy. This as Fundstrat Global Advisors Tom Lee, who correctly called the bottom for stocks in March, thinks we may see about 6.5% upside from here on into year-end, at least for the S&P, and he's lifted his target to 3,800. So, as they say, you pay your money and you take your choice. But the call for today at the moment is we'll get a negative start, at least on the Dow and the S&P. Yeah, it's fascinating how many contrarian calls there are out there to keep on buying in areas of the market that people simply do not want to touch. I keep hearing that more and more in the past 24 hours as we talk about, you know, rotation the top between the sectors you wanted to own during COVID, the sectors afterwards, mm. and then some of the, the stuff uh, right down there at the bottom that nobody is prepared to touch. I know that there's a bit of repositioning for just an element of upside in those areas of uh, the stock market, which I think is quite stunning. Yeah, isn't it interesting how um, we've had a number of guests coming through who pivoted on ultimately the cyclicals and the value trade and saying, we've got a slow rotation taking. It's so slow. 
on some of these trading days that you could miss it if you blinked. I can barely see it. I mean, it felt like people went back to tech defensive yesterday. Yeah, exactly. And let's talk about why uh, it's around coronavirus affairs. There's more than 185,000 new COVID cases were reported in the United States on Thursday, according to NBC News, setting a fresh record high in nationwide daily infections. Over 11.7 million Americans have been infected with the virus and more than 253,000 have died. California Governor Gavin Newsom has issued a new mandatory stay-at-home order for the majority of residents as America's most populated state looks to combat a surge in new cases. Businesses will also be forced to close between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Very similar measures to what we saw in France. The measures will come into effect this weekend and last until mid-December. Minority leader Chuck Schumer says Republican leaders have agreed to restart talks over a massive new stimulus package. Negotiations ground to a halt around the election earlier this month, with both sides at odds over the size and details of the plan. But Schumer said he hopes progress can be made following a conversation with the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Yesterday, um, uh, I wrote to Leader McConnell. He's the leader of the Senate. He has refused so far to have negotiations. But... Uh, now, today, uh, we've had discussions and we're sitting down. We have to get aid, not just testing aid. We need aid for businesses. We need aid for unemployments. We need aid for state and local governments. We need aid for many things. Um, I am supportive of the HEROES Act, which includes that, is supported by the elected officials, Democrat and Republican, of the state and the country, and hopefully we can get that done. Until this point, Leader McConnell has refused to put any bill on the Senate floor. You know the House has passed the aid. Well, let's take a look at how the uh, uh, Treasury is uh, considering the uh, extension of federal programs. This was one of our headlines this morning. Apparently, uh, Secretary Mnuchin would like to bring to an end now some of these programs that were designed to support key markets during the pandemic. The move would see a number of policies expire at the end of the year, including corporate debt purchasing schemes, uh, some lending facilities as well. Uh, Treasury Secretary uh, Mnuchin um, argued the use of the programs has been limited, adding other credit facilities backing short-term funding markets will be extended. However, Fed officials warned the decision could reduce its ability to respond to economic shocks. So very interesting here when we normally see the Federal Reserve and the Treasury working hand in glove that you do get a little bit of pushback here from the Federal Reserve on plan that Stephen Mnuchin is discussing. And of course, if you look at this politically in cynical terms, what Mnuchin is doing here ultimately is shutting down these programs, which would make it difficult for them to be restarted by a new Biden administration without going back to the legislators. The uh, treasuries, as you can see, the important number to note here, I think, is the yield on that 10-year note, which took us all the way back up uh, right at the end of last week to something close to 1%, and we've just eased back from that to a zero spot eight three. President-elect Joe Biden, meanwhile, says he's made his pick for Treasury Secretary. He added he will announce the name around the Thanksgiving holiday next week. Top contenders reportedly include Fed Governor Lael Brainard, former Fed Chair Janet Yellen, and Roger Ferguson, the CEO of insurance company TIAA.
Carl Weinberg is chief economist at High Frequency Economics and joins us for early analysis this Friday morning. Carl, nice to see you. Look, let's just talk a, a little bit about the federal program roll-off, can we? Um, is this a cynical act by the Treasury Secretary to kind of lock the door for the Biden administration early on, or is there something else going on? Well, it's hard to find an economic rationale for it. You know, we're looking at yesterday's numbers at 20 million people receiving some kind of unemployment uh, benefits. We're looking at all the survey data from the regional feds showing that the economy may be turning a quarter. A corner certainly is not uh, rebounding at the pace that it was uh, before. Uh, pretty much all the indicators are softening. And we're looking at what I'll call soft lockdowns, soft shutdowns uh, that are probably the precursor to more extensive shutdowns and lockdowns, given, as Karen just reported, 180,000 people uh, a day being diagnosed with the disease and 1,500 people a day dying. So um, uh, I don't think there's a good economic or public health or, or social reason to uh, explain why they want to cut these programs at this particular time. So it's kind of got to be politics, doesn't it? The CDC has um, urged people to stay at home over Thanksgiving. This um, will have a, a devastating impact, of course, for a, a lot of families and, and how they um, socialise. But it will have a near-term economic impact as well. Have you got any good read as to what you think this might mean in terms of a shutdown of economic activity over the next week or so? Well, I don't think a, a shutdown is, is imminent but in, impediments to normal economic activity are growing. For example, New York City shut down its, its school system uh, today, I think is the first day of it. And uh, that means that working parents won't be able to go to work because they will need to stay home for childcare. And that in turn reduces their consumption, it reduces their income if they're hourly workers, uh, possibly induce, it reduces their consumption expenditures. Uh, so in this way, we're going to see this, this disease calling the shots as we move forward. Even if we don't get lockdowns per se, uh, there's a big drag out there. Holiday travel is certainly going to be impacted. And as you know, Jeff, better than I do, the airline industries, the transportation industries, the hospitality industries, they're all hurting really badly right now. And none of that's going to get any better with people staying at home over the holidays. What will get better, though if we've learned anything from our experience with this virus, is if people do indeed stay home, if they do indeed wear their masks and limit their exposure to large groups of people, that the rate of infections will at least slow rather than at its current pace, where the number of new infections every day is doubling every 16.1 days as of yesterday's numbers and shows no sign of decelerating. Carl, very good morning to you. I'm just going back a stage, if I may, and the, and the case for the defence for the administration at the moment over allowing uh, a lot of these uh, extra measures to basically expire in December. Less than 3% of them are being used at the moment. There's $2.6 trillion available, and it's less than $100 billion are actually being used as well. So uh, the case for the defence from Mr Mnuchin is this money can be used elsewhere or freed up to potentially be used elsewhere. That makes sense, doesn't it? Gosh, Steve, you know, I remember reading about a boat that you guys over in England floated called the Titanic. And one of the problems was that there weren't enough lifeboats on board. And then none of those lifeboats were being used when the boat left the, the dock, but 
uh, when you needed them, they weren't there. These are the lifeboats for the economy. These are the places for companies to go when there's no place else to go, whether they're small businesses or medium-sized businesses, not the big ones that can go to the oh. capital markets, but the little ones. So I think it's a good idea to keep the lifeboats on the boat just in case you need them. And if nobody's using them, I, I what's the I thought the lifeboat was the fiscal package, Carl. I thought that we are, you just mentioned how many cases a day? Over 150,000 cases a day, and still only 3% of this is being used at the moment. Surely this would galvanize uh, those on Capitol Hill as well to actually come up with their fiscal package rather than relying on a measure that is not actually being used at peak COVID crisis at the moment. Well, Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to, to disagree with you, but the people on Capitol Hill don't seem to be motivated by anything. All right, the Senate is refusing to even consider measures, to consider talking to the Democrats on putting measures together. All right, there's not a package on the table, and uh, the economy is uh, at the beginning of what probably will be a very slippery slope that will bring it back down to or near the levels of activity that we saw back in April. And even though the rates of economic contraction won't be as severe, they will bring us back down to levels that are consistent with lower levels of employment and higher unemployment rates than we're seeing right now. All the writing is on the wall. And if that doesn't galvanize the Senate uh, to, to start considering action and the government, or we still have a president who's in office who should be doing something, or if they can't be galvanized by the facts of the economy, cutting out these programs is not going to do anything to, to get us moving forward, to get us a new fiscal package, if that is indeed what we need. Well, if you read the politics on the Hill, do you hear anything that seems more likely that the Democrats may concede to a lower number on the stimulus package? I mean, Jamie Dimon the other day was talking about to just get a deal done. He's calling it childish or the infighting over what the actual number is going to be. I mean, the Democrats have now got the White House. They've had a win politically. Do they need to have a win on the actual stimulus number at this point? Hi, Karen. Well, you know, I don't think that a win is the name of the game in politics, all right? Politics is all about making compromises. And of course, the Democrats are not going to get everything that they want. And that's the reality of a divided Congress. And that's probably not such a bad thing, all right? The Republicans also are not going to get, not going to get everything that they want. And the question is whether the state of American politics is so awful that the two sides can't talk to each other and find a common ground in the middle that will help the country. And where we are right now is that everybody does seem to have this, it's all or nothing at all uh, kind of thing. And I'm hopeful that the way American politics has worked in the past, finding support across the aisle and being able for differing parties to find ground in the middle to agree on, I'm hoping we can get back to that under a Biden administration. Carl, I want to ask you about the bounce back this time as we see some lockdowns uh, start to be rolled back. And it feels like it might be a little bit different. If you think over summer, we had these very long lockdowns and it brought down the infection rate. And then we, we saw people just getting back out there. This time round, as you see some of the restrictions rolled back, it feels like there may still be some form of social distancing restrictions or some sort of tier still in place, which may limit the bounce back at a time when, you know, you're going to have capacity constraints in restaurants because it's going to be indoor dining, for instance. Uh, what do you make of the pent-up demand and the sort of bounce back we can anticipate on the back of uh, these lockdowns and increased restrictions? Well, Karen, I, I think you make a good point. There is pent-up demand and, you know, people do miss going out to restaurants. But we have to remember that going out to restaurants and business travel is not the entirety of the economy. And what worries me more, more as we move forward are not so much the formal lockdowns, 
but the informal and what will be random and unpredictable shutdowns of enterprises within the economy as the rate of viral infection increases. If one person in a factory is infected, then everyone has to go home until everyone gets tested or everyone sits at home for 14 days. If kids have to stay home from school, moms and dads can't go to work, and that reduces the supply of labor to the economy. If one uh, worker in an office uh, one, office, one worker at your CNBC studios gets sick. Everybody has to stay away from work until the situation can be resolved. These shutdowns are going to become more prevalent. And right now in Britain and the United States, you have about a three one thousandths of a percent chance of being infected on any given day. And that means if you meet 100 people in a day, you have a 3% chance of getting infected from one of them in the course of a day. That's just statistics. So as people continue to move about in contact with other people, more and more people are going to get sick and they're going to create critical and unpredictable interruptions in our supply chains. That's what concerns me more moving forward, not the legal shutdowns, but rather the virus itself taking control of the situation. Carl, um, can I ask you, how do you feel about um, the overall tone of markets at the moment as they reflect confidence in the economic rebound? We've had uh, Masayoshi Son uh, from SoftBank um, expressing worries about something ugly out there waiting to happen, and he's raising cash. I just mentioned Bill Ackman, who's also concerned, and he's saying it's prudent, maybe, to build some protection against a market event. Um, what do you feel may be out there for capital markets through the end of the year into early next year? Are you glass half full, glass half empty? Well, that's the question of the day, isn't it? The markets do seem frothy. Let me first of all give the disclaimer that we don't give investment advice at high frequency economics. We give economic advice. But we do see a, a pattern of corporate profitability in business cycle downturns that suggests that corporate profits are going to start to suffer as this downturn extends. So profits, of course, are a fundamental driver for stocks, and I think that's something that uh, people should think about. The other thing is, Jeff, you know, I don't think we're really very far along in this economic crisis or recession. We're only, what, eight, 10 months into it since, uh, since it all began. And uh, I think we've got a very, very, very long way to go, that this second wave is going to be, if not the real crisis, a precursor to yet another wave, and that we are still in early days of this, and there's plenty of opportunity for things to break to the bad side in terms of corporate news, in terms of economic news, in terms of social and political news. There are just you know, a lot more downside to come here. So we're looking at the whole crisis from, from this far away, you know, and we're seeing, well, okay, a couple of indicators turned up, we must be going up. But in the bigger picture, it's going to take years to rebound from this. It's going to take years to get back to where we were. And at some point, I would think that equity market valuations would uh, catch up with uh, the economic realities. And also, I will argue that there is the potential for a financial crisis lurking underneath all of this. Because in the United States, at the end of December, people are going to lose their protection from evictions. They're going to lose income support. They're going to lose uh, forbearance on student loans. All right, And as these we fall into this fiscal valley of support for people, we're going to see failures. And those failures, as we learned in 2008, can create problems within the financial sector. So I think we're still in the early days of what is to come. And I think that there's a lot more worse. See how I'm speaking so early in the morning. There's a lot worse news to come um, as we move forward uh, in this uh, in this episode. History, history isn't over yet.
Carl, I hope you're able to get to sleep after that. Um, it, <laughs> I, I know it's like one o'clock in the morning where you are, so um, you might have to take a nightcap, I think, at this point. Uh, but it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks so much for the analysis, Carl. Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist at High Frequency Economics. An exciting company to start out the day, but, you know, going to bed, it might be a sleepless night for him. Oh, I think it might be challenging, <laughs> uh, to be honest. I think I might have one after listening to what he had to say uh, as far as the economy and corporate profits are concerned. Anyhow, our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to the Chicago Fed President Charles Evans later today. That exclusive interview coming up at 14.30 Central European time. Also, Sam Samsung continues to invest in its wearable technology. We're going to hear from the company's senior vice president after the break. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. President-elect Joe Biden has been confirmed as the winner in Georgia after the state carried out a hand recount of votes. Now, the result shows that Biden uh, leads Trump in the state with a margin of just over 12,000 votes. It says leads it led uh, compared to over 13,000 as previously uh, thought. Uh, Georgia's secretary of state said the initial discount was due to a human error. But President Trump's campaign continues to dispute the result, uh, claiming without any evidence at all that we've seen anyway, that the recount included, quote, illegal ballots. Let me take you to some of the job numbers stateside. U.S. weekly jobless claims picked up last week with 742,000 Americans filing for unemployment. This is higher than Wall Street forecasts and comes after four straight weeks of decline. But continuing claims fell to a fresh pandemic-era low of 6.3 million people. This comes amid worries that increased restrictions in a number of states could push the unemployment levels back up. Well, let me talk you through some of that uh, reaction that we saw stateside on the markets. And you could see it was a, a day where investors struggled between some of the positive and negative themes. And we've had increased fears around the impact on economies from these fresh shutdowns and restrictions that have been required across various parts of the United States, but also globally. The markets then just picking up on some of the commentary about uh, the inclination to resume talks between the Democrats and Republicans around a stimulus package. And that was a positive catalyst during the session. So it was a bit of a tug of war. We did end up in the green on these markets. And you can see the outsized performance by the Nasdaq and the gains more than eight tenths of a percent as investors again recycled some of those technology exposures. If we take a look at that side of the markets, you can see how strong the bounce was, particularly for some stocks, Salesforce up almost 3%, Alphabet to almost 1% in the green. More modest gains just uh, flashing up across from the likes of Apple to Netflix and Microsoft. The Asian markets in the trading session today, uh, this is how it looks. It's a mixed picture, as you can see. Japan's been a fascinating one. It's revived some of those fears again around deflation, as we've seen the latest CPI number that has fallen 0.7% year on year but uh, also some concerns about further uh, challenges to the consumption numbers that you're going to see in coming months that may impact CPI. And the market is a little bit concerned about uh, what is on the data today. We've got a reversal there. Patches of green around Hong Kong and China. Australia trading weaker at the end of the session.
Samsung will continue to invest in 5G and advanced technologies amid a rise in use of wearables in 2020. That according to Taejong Jae-yang, senior vice president at the South Korean electronics company. Uh, Sherry spoke to Yang as part of CNBC's East Tech West coverage, and they talked about the outlook for the devices. Wearable will play a critical role in shaping the digital health experience for consumers. Majority of consumers plan to spend less this year due to the pandemic. Uh, the wearable device sales has grown by 30% or more compared to last year. What this data indicates is that even when millions of consumers are reevaluating their spending habits, they continue to prioritize wearable technology products over others because there, are potential, uh, there is a potential to help them adapt to this new normal. So Samsung will continue to invest in advanced technologies such as health monitoring sensors, algorithm, and provide our customer easy to understand and helpful insight. We also partner with organizations around the globe with a deep expertise in the health industry, giving our partners access to millions of consumers, better consumer engagement and more robust business opportunities. This kind of pivot to healthcare and wellness is something that other technology companies are doing, like your competitions like Apple and Google. How do you think that Samsung's strategy should be different and will be different? And what are you doing to grab more market share? One of the biggest advantages that Samsung has is that Samsung manufactures a wide variety of world-best consumer electronics, ranging from mobile phones, tablets, wearable laptops, and all sorts of home appliances like refrigerators with IoT technology embedded. We are working to combine these various devices to provide our customers with a more complete and integrated health experience. As consumers around the world look for more integrated, uh, integrated and holistic health experiences, this will give Samsung a huge competitive advantage. What is next in terms of Samsung's wearables and healthcare technology? These days, people spend more of their time at home using multiple electronic devices throughout the day, including smartphones, tablets, wearable laptops, TVs, etc. Connectivity allows us to get information that we, we need, have fun, exercise at home, connect with the world. As you know, Samsung has been the world leader in 5G and other connectivity-related technology for many years, we, and we're going to continue to invest in that area. Another key technology trend that we need to pay attention to is the recent advancement in the sensor technology with more sophisticated algorithm, which allow us to interpret the data and convert that into more meaningful health information. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.